Tonight we are continuing our study in Ecclesiastes, as you've known, chapter 3. There is just a plethora of information in the first eight verses. Uh, it's just, as I was studying this, I, I was sitting there just thinking, I was like, there's, I just don't know that there's any way in, in, in 30 minutes or 45 minutes that a man could probably cover the first eight verses. Uh, but I want us to take our time. And, and go through this uh, together and, and study the, the meaning and, and the thoughts that are laid out here. A lot of practical applications. I mean, just a ton of, and because it's about life, isn't it? Um, it's about Solomon's search in, in the meaning of life. And, you know, the, the book only contains, I believe, 12 chapters, so... You know, it's, uh, it's just maybe a, it's a major, a lot of information in, in this study. But as we study this in Ecclesiastes, Solomon's letter, um, he defines again his, his search for the meaning of life um, throughout this letter. And we've come to, in chapter 3, uh, some observations about the variety of life. And variety meaning different things uh, about, about life. And these verses, I, I think, are perhaps some of the most well-known verses, I believe, uh, of this book and of this letter. And they describe, again, that variety in, in life. Um, and, and these have been used uh, to create songs. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, there's a song uh, with this, this in it. Um, and again, it's just a passage of scripture sometimes that we read at funerals um, to show the necessary changes that will occur in life. Um, so when we examine it simply as part of uh, Solomon's observations, these are some thoughts about the text that I want us to start out with. And what I found in, our, in my study that sometimes doctrinally this passage is used to teach Calvinism uh, as to say that God purposes every little act that we engage in. Uh, but that's not the only possible interpretation. Um, you know, and it's contrary, if you studied and you remember, to, to numerous biblical doctrines, uh, including our free will and choice. You know, God gives us free will and choice, and it doesn't have to happen that way, or God doesn't purposely say this is what's going to happen. Now, the providence God we've talked about does work through his will, and he works out things for the good, and, uh, and he has that ability to do that. But also many of the behaviors and actions are, are abused um, sometimes in, in this way of thinking. And Solomon's point was that there's a time for everything. Life happens and events are going to occur. Now notice this, some with our control and some without. Now that's, that's just practical life, isn't it? Uh, some with our control and some with, without and others beyond our control. And while Solomon's primary focus is, is this life, many of these descriptions in this passage, <clears throat> as they apply spiritually. 
to which we will make some application as we go through uh, this study. So you look there in the very beginning, it says, to everything there is a season. Well, a season, when you hear that, indicates a designated time that comes and goes. Anyone who's observed and considered uh, life in general understands that there are times when one choice is appropriate and other times when the opposite choice is the right one. And this gives life a, a little variety or contrast uh, uh, that will how, you know, we go back to chapter 1 and you look at those things that Solomon talked about, the mundane and predictable nature of the world. And with this cause for man to, for to stop and think about those things, gives life a little variety, a season, a, a set time for things to go, come and go. You know, God, again, we can say, is in control. Well, how can we set things like on a calendar or planting or whatever the case may be is because God has already set things into motion and they're not, they're predictable because God is the same, right? Always. Uh, and he set those things for, for us as we, we live here. But you look at that as a time or there's a, uh, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So there are laws, again, as we just mentioned, that God has set in order. And they're universal. You think about when God created this world. He created the natural laws that govern it when he set things in motion. And again, these laws have been constant and irrevocable um, until God may decide to step in and alter those things with his, his control. One thought, and this is true spiritually as well, this world and man has a purpose. Now you think about that. There are spiritual laws that you and I must abide by. The way this world works is the hand of God and is the hand of God and is designed for man to seek him and to realize that life is not just about himself. And we have to think about others as we manage our lives, which is seen in the most of the descriptions in, in this text as we're going to study uh, the rest of this passage. But we must abide and seek him. Again, you go back, this world and man has a purpose. You know, God does not, did not just create this world and man and just step back and say, okay, you're on your own. God didn't do that. He did not do that. He created this world and he created man to live in this world. And he says, okay, now I've done this, but now I'm going to give you this, this, and this, and this to help control these things. So again, we can say ultimately God is in control. So to everything, there is a, a, a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born. You know, you, you think about that. A time to be born. The bringing of life into this world. One version puts it this way. A time to give birth. Of all the qualities described... This first set 
is the one we have the least among control. This event happens when it's time. Uh, you think about that. Spiritually, when we take about being born, time to be born, let's think spiritually. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it was the fullness of time, we could say the right time, when God brought Christ into this world. Now I also consider the birth. We do have control over being born again. Now we're talking spiritually. John 3 and verse 3, if you remember, there in Nicodemus, we do have control over that being born again, don't we? Or being born. You know, just as a mother is carrying a child in that birth, now we have technology to, to where we can speed up that process, but we still don't have control over when one is born physically. We do not have control over that. But again, we do have control over being born spiritually. Well, what do you mean being born spiritually? I think it deserves going to John chapter 3 <coughs> and looking uh, at that text. You're familiar with the text very well. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, that came to Jesus by night. And he said unto him, Rabbi, he acknowledged who, what he was, and a teacher come from God. No man can do these things uh, or these miracles that, that doeth these except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again or anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you know the rest of the discourse. Nicodemus says, well, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time, a physical birth he's thinking about? But our Lord is thinking about spiritually, isn't he? And you go on through that and, and that discourse, and he says, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, what is he saying? Except a man be baptized for the remission of his sins, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We do have control over those things. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 23, he says, We are born again when we are baptized for the remission of our sins. We, it's a rebirth. It's one when, when, when we talked about this morning, we become a new, a new creature. You know, there's nothing more precious than a young baby and more pure either. They, they, they're very, very gentle. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't understand all the, the terrible things of the world. They don't have an attitude yet. <laughs> uh, they're just gentle and pure, aren't they? In all their ways, their actions, their movements. And even when they get up just a little bit older, they're so, we talk about the, the gentleness and the pureness of a child's mind. Think about how pure uh, that is. But again, we have control over that. We have control over uh, being born again. And again, we make the necessary statement tonight that one must be born again to be able to see the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? To be able to go to heaven. One must be able to, to have the blood of Christ applied and in the right way. As we talked about this morning, baptism being a, a full immersion and we need to fully understand that and the importance of those things. 
But what about the statement, a time to be born, but now we look at the opposite spectrum, side of that spectrum, a time to what? Time to die. A time to die. Some use this to justify killing um, and even other things as well. But it deals really with life. Genesis 3 and, and 19, you see, you remember the story there in, in the Garden of Eden and when they were driven out. And um, when you go there and read that, I'm trying to get there, Genesis 3 and 19. It says, in the sweat of the face, I shall eat bread until the return to the ground. Said so they, they, remember they died spiritually when they come out of the Garden of Eden, and then they hit real life, we could say, in one sense. But it says, until you turn unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return, or thou wilt return. A time to die. Hebrews 9 and 27 is pointed unto man wants to die. We understand those things in a physical kind of way. You know, we, we talked about being born. What a great and, and wonderful thing that is and the great joy that brings. But also, on the other hand, what about death and dying? Dying is, we sometimes say in funerals, that it's a blessing, isn't it? Scripture says sometimes it's better than to be born because we're going to, to live with God if we're faithful and where we need to be. And it's a time to be joyful and those types of things for a good, faithful Christian uh, to, to be able to go and be with their Lord. But what about spiritually? When you go and you talk spiritually about this matter, you have to go and you have to look in the book of Romans. And you have to go, and you're very familiar, I'm sure, with this passage in Romans chapter 6. In verse 23, notice what it says to us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Spiritually, when we sin, we die. I think that's a lost thought in, in a lot of people's minds today and, and that people fully really don't understand. Is they, when we sin and when we turn against God and when we do things contrary to God's word, we not literally physically die, but spiritually we die in the spiritual death, don't we? He says, for the wages of sin is death. When you involve yourself in sin, you die spiritually. You go on over in the book of Romans in chapter 5, or back rather, in chapter 5, and, and verse 12. And it says this, Wherefore, as by one man, one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for, all, for that all uh, have sinned. You see, Paul laid that sin entering at the feet of Adam, didn't he? But when we sin, we die. But to be raised. We talk about that spiritual birth again. We must be put to death that an old, an old man of sin. And you go back to Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 6. 
And you put to death, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore what? We are buried with him by baptism into death. That lack of Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in a newness of life. For if we've been planted together or become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, now watch it right here, that our old man is crucified with him, and the body of sin might be destroyed or done away, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, we may die spiritually, but we can be raised spiritually to live a life, a life of Christianity and through baptism. He gives that great analogy there, Paul does in Romans 6. But again, we go on. A time to be born, a time to die. You go on to uh, verse, um, rest of verse 2 there, a time to be plucked up, or time to plant, and a time to, to pluck up uh, that which is planted. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Harvest times. You remember back in the Old Testament when the flood ended, and the rainbow was given and promises were made in Genesis 8 uh, and 21 and 22. There are times on this earth that are set in place to where certain actions need to be done. You know, we often look at the, the farmer's almanac. Uh, I don't know if y'all do. Uh, and it's that, that book that gives us details to know when is the right time for each planting and, and those types of things. And you know why they're only useful? You know, you might say, well, boy, I tell you what, men, boy, men are very smart to know that. Let me tell you why. They're only useful because God has appointed the times, and they are dependable. Do you really break that down? Think about that. You know, the farmer's almanac is, is because God is so dependable. God says there's a time to, to plant and there's a time to pluck up. Why? Because God has set things in motion and he continues to set things in motion and he continues to keep it in the right order. Can you imagine if the order was out of whack, what would it be like? If everything was just whatever, it would be terrible, wouldn't it? But God has made sure that that does not happen. You see, when we talk about the planting, the planting's obvious. But what about the plucking, the uprooting? You know, that could address, as uh, we already mentioned, harvest time, receiving the crop that, that we've planted, or when it's useful, this has gone, we uproot and replace. And farmers know a lot about these things. They, they have studied this so much now that uh, uh, a good friend of mine back home, they had thousands of acres that they... They plant every year. I'm talking about that's all they've ever done all their whole life. There's like seven generations of them in those cotton fields. And now, and now they, they used to plant the same thing back in the same field. And now they have cover crops that he told me about. He said, we do this and we, we change this out. Because I'll go down, those, down that highway and I'll look at those fields. And 
I'll see him and I'll say, well, why didn't y'all plant this over there? Y'all always had that over there. And he said, well, we've learned better. He said, we take and change that out because it drains the land uh, if you plant the same thing over and over and over and those types of things. But again, you know, the planting is obvious. And farmers know a lot about these things. But when we, we and, and a lot of you do that, and you know those things, and I've heard people talk about the signs and when to plant this and when to plant that and, and those types of things. And if you've been in that, I've known some great men here who are great farmers, who are great, I say farmers, great gardeners or whatever the case may have been. And that's all well and good. But what about when we talk spiritually? The Bible makes reference to planting and harvest time as well as uprooting. In the book of John, in chapter 4, in verse 35, you're very familiar with this concept. We are to sow seed and plant. Verse 35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So what are we talking about? Talking about souls, aren't we? Talking about there are people out there who need uh, to be taught. You go to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 3 and verse 6 and notice what the Bible says to us concerning uh, this topic. It says, I have planted, and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul's writing, isn't he? He's saying, I, he, he's saying here, I planted these things, and Apollos cultivated it and watered it, but God gave that increase. We are to sow seed, and we are to plant. We are to look to the fields for harvest. You know, we talk spiritually about these things. A time to plant, a time to pluck up. Another reference in this is Luke 8 and verses 11 and following. The parable there, the seed is the word of God that we've talked about that fell on the good ground in the verses prior to that. And our Lord explains those things to his followers and his apostles. But he says there's a time to sow and there's time to reap and to plant. You look at verse 15, he says, Those that are on the good ground are they which is an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. And you go back through that, it talks about those who fell in the thorns and those on the rock. You know, that... Sowing and reaping is very important in the Lord's church. You think about <clears throat> sowing and, and what do you, and you talk about sowing, well, what do you mean? I can remember as, as a little boy sowing the fields, and, you, and you sure, you, you, you've done this, I'm sure. But you reach in that bag and you got it over your shoulder or on a strap and you filled it up and we would walk through the fields and we'd throw here and throw there and back and forth. And it, it was going to fall on different types of ground. Didn't have to deal with as many rocks at home <laughs> as, we do, as we do here. Uh, 
every year I go through my fields and pick out the rocks, and, and then they just magically appear again. Uh, I'm like, man, where'd they come from? Uh, there's a little boy walking through with his grandpa, and he was picking rocks up out of the, out of the fields, and and uh, little boy Ashton, they was picking, they'd been there for several hours picking out rocks so that their fields could grow. And he'd say, Grandpa, why are these rocks here? And grandfather told him, so that's where God put them. They walked on a little further, and he said, Grandpa, he said, I sure wish God would have put them somewhere else. <laughs> oh, they just magically appeared, don't they? Uh, but that seed falls upon those things. And, and if it doesn't fall upon good ground, it's not going to take root. and It's not going to grow and produce fruit as we read just a moment ago in, in the book of Luke there. But what about those good hearts? And I want us to end right here tonight with this thought. You know, that seed falls upon good hearts. As was prayed earlier in our prayer, it says we, that we'd open up our hearts and study and look at this, this passages together tonight. And, and let me ask you, do you have, is your heart the good soil? And what do we mean by the spiritual heart, the mind? And are you willing to accept what the truth is? You know, many of us, we're fortunate enough to grow up in the Lord's church, but there, there, there are many people who were not able to grow up in the Lord's church. There are a lot of people who, who were not blessed that way. And for anyone to, to come up that way but have to, to figure out what's right and, and, you know, and do what we talked about this morning, the Bible being the authority, that, that's a big step for those people. But you know, for them to do that, they have to have the right kind of heart, don't they? They've got to have a heart of receptiveness to say, I want to know what's right. Now, one can have a heart that says, well, I don't care what it says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's just a matter of the fact. Well, that's not good ground, is it? Good ground is a heart that says, man, I want to know what's right. I want, I want to go to heaven. I want to know what the Bible says. And when that heart receives that seed, we water it, just like Apollos. We water that by continuing study and finding out what the truth is. And it creates our faith and makes it stronger. And then faith leads us what? To obedience, doesn't it? Our faith will lead us to obedience. Every one of us went through that process. Our faith led us to obedience. It says, oh yeah, well, well the Bible says this about baptism. The Bible says this about worship. So I, I need to do those things. And, and, and your heart and your spiritual heart says, yes, I, I need to do those things. You know, as we went back to that statement, a time to plant, time to pluck up what is planted. There are times when people walk away from what is planted. And we that plant the seed, there are times that we have to must move on. But you know, God will certainly pluck on the day of judgment. When you go to Matthew 13 and read in 24 through 30 the parable of the wheat 
and the tares. God's going to pluck on the day of judgment, isn't he? One must be in the body of Christ to be able to see the kingdom of God. John taught that to Nicodemus, or our Lord did, in John rather. One must be born again, must be baptized for remission of their sins. Tonight, maybe your heart is that good heart. I hope it is. I believe it is because if you didn't have the right kind of heart, you wouldn't be here tonight. You, wouldn't, you could care less about hearing what I had to say tonight and what the Bible has to say through me. Let me put it that way. You would care less if you didn't have any concern about your soul, about where you will live eternally. That's a guarantee. You and I, there is life after this death. You and I will live somewhere eternally when we leave this old world. When this body goes back to that dust of the ground from which it was created, we will live eternally somewhere. I hope your heart is a good ground. I hope that you've taken some things that we've said and said, boy, I, I need to dig deeper. I need to, to know about this thing of Christianity. and I need to know how to become a Christian. And I want to know. And I want to know that I can go to heaven. And you can't know that. Some people say you can't know whether you're going to heaven. Yes, you can. You can know. And tonight we encourage you. If you need to make a change in your life, you need to become a Christian. You need to sit down and study with us. We'd love to do that with you. There is nothing that does my heart any more good than to sit and to study with someone about the Bible. I love that. I enjoy that. I have sat with people way in the wee hours of the morning discussing the Bible and teaching them and then eventually baptizing them, sometimes 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Because it's that important. We don't want to wait, do we? We don't want to wait. So tonight, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand. And as we sing.